Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kick. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, joined by John Brown, President and CEO, Brown Golf Management and Golf Back. Today, John, we have a lot to get to. We're going to cut to the chase and we're going to introduce our guest. Mike Laustalot has spent a lifetime in golf. He's the son of a PGA golf professional. He contributed to a national championship NJCAA golf team where he was an All-American. His professional career has been primarily about bringing golf tee time marketing technology to the industry starting in 1993 when he started selling one of the first electronic tee sheets and point of sale systems and has worked with literally every major company in the industry. John, there's a company that I've heard of, he's certainly worked with them in some capacity. He's published many acclaimed articles, and now his primary objective is helping golf courses unlock new revenue with Sagacity Golf, which we will get to in just a moment. But before we do, he is here. He's present with us. Mr. Mike Lauslot, thank you for joining the show today. Wow. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Yeah, you've done a lot of stuff, been around for a while. (laughs) That's what happens, right? The older you get, the more experience you have. Like, uh, what did Mark Twain say? 99% of success is showing up. Well, in that case, we're all, we're all destined for greatness because we are here. Exactly. And you got to do your job. That's right. Bill Belichick said that, and I agree. So, Mike, before we, before we dive into sagacity and all the things that we mentioned earlier, I just want to get to know you a little bit on a human level. And I was reading some of your publications and a quote that stood out to me. It said, the sport of golf has taught me everything I need to know about business and life. What exactly did you mean by that? Well, number one is uh, how to handle adversity. Uh, and, and on the other end of the spectrum is, is how to handle success, you know, and you, you, that's you know, that's kind of it, right? Golf is, uh, golf is just such an awesome game. Every hole presents opportunity and risk. You need to know, you know, what your abilities are. You need to know how to, you know, play the angles, work the percentages, you know, how to act if you don't hit a good shot and have to recover and you need to expect that you're going to make birdies and, and win events. And, uh, you know, so, so it's just, it's about, uh, you know, it's just about handling what life throws your way. That's golf. And I think my other quote was, it taught me how to gamble. <laughs> it, it, it taught me how to smoke. <laughs> it taught me how to curse. Uh, so no, it's, 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 I'm grateful. I, I cannot imagine being 60 years old uh, and, and all the opportunity that I've been able to enjoy and, and the, the game of golf, the business of golf, the industry of golf um, has uh, given me everything I have in my life uh, today. Well, John, just like Mike, you grew up in sort of entrenched in the golf industry. You know, you love a good drink and a good parlay as much as Mike does. So uh, do, you, do you echo that sentiment? Did it teach you what you have learned and help you get to where you are today as well? Similar to Mike, I was the son of a PGA professional. And uh, I know a lot of my comfort in my professional life is just because of osmosis of where I was and what I was around as a as a younger child and just being around 
golf in general, different types of clubs, tournament play, playing the game, the business. So yeah, there's a natural comfort level, I would say, just basically through osmosis by just being exposed to it. Probably the best quality is just you've got to be honest with yourself out there. And if there's a rules infraction, you call yourself on it. Not too many times in life does that happen in, in recreation, sport, or business. So yeah, if ever. John, we all we know Mike through Sagacity Golf. What was your first interaction? How did you get to know? How did Mike or Sagacity get on your radar? Well, Sagacity and Mike in particular have, have been prominent in, in communicating what they're doing with their platform, but just in general, the online tea time industry and golf. He's been in every sort of communication channel possible as it relates to educating the marketplace. I've always taken notice to that. We spoke about his product a few years ago as it relates to our company. At this point, you know, we're both in the online tea time space. We're somewhat competitors, but we're all, we also have a little bit different products, but always respected the way they approach the business. And, and I really believe what they're doing and how they're analyzing the data helps golf courses. Break it down for some, for a simpleton like myself, Mike, how does Sagacity Golf help generate revenue? We collect and organize the historical transactional data from the tea sheet and the point of sale system at the golf course. And then we present it back to the golf course in an easily digestible way for them to make better informed decisions. <laughs> there are 30, 40, 50, 60,000 rounds played at a golf course uh, across the, you know, a, a year, a, a season, if you will. And, uh, and there's, you know, years of history at golf courses. And so there is patterns that exists both in terms of occupancy and booking window and booking curves, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and there's also this whole notion of mix, you know, well, how do I fill my T-sheet? Is it with, you know, public play, group play, you know, loyalty, annual pass play. So there's just this, you know, really multidimensional aspect to uh, optimizing your revenue. You know, the golf industry is so tough as an operator because you have, and an owner, you have five businesses that you're trying to run all under one umbrella. It's a lot to really process. And what we want to help golf courses do is, is we want to, you know, unleash the power in their historical data and, and make it simple for them to see where they can grow their revenue. Mike, I don't know about you, but from my perspective, one of the things in our industry, which has definitely existed, is sort of the subjective nature of pricing golf. Our conditions are better than our competitors. I feel like our layout might be better. Here's their other prices. So our price should be X, right? And you're really taking a data-driven approach. And how often with that data are you sort of slapping an owner-operator in the face with pricing that maybe they didn't think was they were capable of? Well, John, it's a, you bring up a really good point. In my experience, in our experience, what, what we see is, is we see facility owners and facility managers very capable of establishing what we would call their base rate. Okay. They know their, they know their layout, they know their conditioning, they know where they, you know, they know where they sit in the pecking order uh, in terms of those kind of attributes in their, in their small, in their local market. So I think that they, that course that managers and owners do a good job of establishing that base rate. That's when it all starts to break down. Uh, it's, it's those it's that what I call the micromanaging of the rate, when to raise it, when to decrease it, 
when to hold steady. That's where I think the industry has got the most opportunity to grow. So you recently made an announcement on your website, sagacitygolf.com, about a relationship with the PGA. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, Yeah, we are in a partnership with the PGA of America to provide a free operations benchmark report to all facilities who are interested, public or private, you know, nine hole, 18 hole, 27 hole, you know, managed, uh, staffed with PGA members or or not. Um, the, The idea behind that is this tea time inventory, you know, represents the the biggest part of the economic engine that drives the public golf industry to start with, right? And and you know, eighty percent of a golf course's revenue comes from the tee sheet. And uh, PGA members need to begin to take more credit for the results that they're driving at the facility level. And and in order to take credit. You, you, you need to be able to explain the performance of your golf course in the context of your competitors, which is your market. Uh, Don Ray talks about it, the, the secretary of the PGA, right? He, he, he talks about it uh, in terms of uh, posting your score on a scoreboard versus posting your score against par. Budget, you know, is par. Uh, are, how are you doing against your budget is is one thing, you know, as we've lived through these last two years, we've seen that, you know, budgets went out the window, rounds and revenue, you know, went up in, in you know, in 2021. And, um, and, and the question really is, you know, well, how did, you know, we're up, but, but so is everybody else. And did we outperform the market? And so what you as a manager need to be able to do, you as an owner need to be able to do is you need to be able to demonstrate that you're outperforming the market, you know, getting everybody sharing data in a confidential, you know, anonymous way. It's really the entry fee. It's the ante to, to moving down the direction of comparative benchmarking. And, uh, and so the PG of America uh, recognizes that they're supporting this. And, um, you know, we've had 500, a little over 500 signups since we announced this project uh, back in back in August, which is really encouraging. Absolutely, congratulations on that. That's a it's a very big deal. Well, Mike, you are a two year letter winner at Arizona State, so we like to get into a little bit of rapid fire as the show sort of comes to a culmination. An athlete of your caliber should have no problem on the hot seat here and uh, tackling some of these hot button issues. This is rapid fire with Mike lost a lot. And the first question I'm going to ask you with companies like Sagacity and Golfback and companies of that nature, are you optimistic about where the industry is headed moving into the future? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How rapid is that? (laughs) Extremely. Do you believe that Phil Mickelson will win another major in his time as a professional? Yes. That's a that's a hot take. Rapid fire. Do you think Arizona State alum James Harden will help get the Philadelphia 76ers over the proverbial hump to an NBA title? Oh, that's a brutal call right there, because my answer to that is no. <laughs> this question a, a little a little more serious, but I, I do am curious of your take with all due respect to Arizona State, to Westchester, to Towson University, where we attended. They're all great schools. Is in your opinion, to be successful at a high level in your industry, do you think it is required that you have a college degree nowadays? Uh, maybe right now, yes, but going forward, no. I think the whole face of education is going to change. It needs to change. 
And that's a whole different episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and there's plenty of opportunity to gain wisdom and knowledge and out there advanced education degrees that are coming out are a lot about relationships and connections, less about um, the the work uh, in terms of some of the disciplines that you're, you know, that you're, that you're pursuing. So those are, who are in leadership positions right now are mainly college educated people, right? Those that are coming down the pike uh, may be a little bit different. Well, Mike, thank you for the time today. Great insight. Continue to do the great stuff you're doing at Sagacity. And uh, we appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, John. I appreciate the time as well. Good luck to you. Once again, we'd like to extend special thanks to Mike Laustalot of Sagacity Golf. Be sure to check out all the incredible things they have going on at sagacitygolf.com. When we return, I'm going to be putting our co-host, our CEO, our president, John Brown, through the ringer. This is a segment that I wanted to do, and I pull no punches. A no-holds-barred interview with John Brown himself, getting to know him on a personal level. What is his business philosophy? What does he really think about certain things going on in the industry? And a whole lot more when we return on the Golf Exposed podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, and this is, this is a bit of an expose. I'm here with John Brown, as normal, president and CEO of Brown Golf Management and Golf Back. And today, John, I'm going to be a voice for the voiceless. I have several questions that I've compiled over my time here that I wanted to personally ask you. And also just from running the social media pages and seeing what people are talking about, what people are asking, I wanted to kind of get it straight from the horse's mouth. You know what? I'm starting to think this stupid show is the best thing that ever happened to me. This is sort of uncharted territory. You have no idea what I'm about to ask you. Are you up to the task? Sounds like you're about to expose me, Jordan. (laughs) Well, the first question I'm going to ask you, I know that you live and die for customer service. Have you ever heard the expression... The customer is always right. Ultimately serving not only the member, the player, but the owner-operator as well. Is there an instance, in theory, where the customer is not always right, and in fact, the customer could be wrong? I think there's a line of respect that we have in our company for how our employees treat the customers, but that's also a mutual line. So there have been times where a customer or a member may have crossed the line with their behavior towards an employee. And in those situations, you got to protect and back the employee. You want to make a customer situation right. You want to think about the customer. You want to do what's right by the customer. But you deal with a lot of people. You know, an 18-hole facility might do 40,000 rounds of golf. So you're dealing with a lot of people, personalities, and you know, every once in a while, there's a situation which maybe you're not comfortable with an employee being impacted by, and sometimes you got to take a stand in those scenarios. So, in that vein, can you divulge the most absurd or ridiculous complaint that you've ever heard at a course level? See, see, qué ridículo! I will give you an exact example of one that I think, and this might have a little bit to do with uh, the age differences between the the people involved. But we had a general manager who was probably about mid-40s at a club that was a semi-private club that used to be a private club. Actually, it was Gainesville Country Club. And our general manager had sent an update out about uh, activities at the restaurant. And there was a particular board member who was very upset that he referred to the dining space as a restaurant and not as a country club. You don't deserve to be in the restaurant business. You really don't. To the point where he was crossing the line upset. And uh, I thought there's a pretty big difference in, in our expectations of of if that was inappropriate or not. And especially, you know, in my world, once 
a country club, you know, turns into a semi-private golf course that becomes a restaurant a la carte space available to all. So yeah, that would probably be the most ridiculous one. You kind of led into my next question that I was planning on asking you. I know how old you are. We won't tell the listeners how old you are, but you look you look young. You you look the same for decades, which good for you. you may, I don't know if you moisturize or what, but do you ever get any resistance because you are younger or you at least look younger than the vast majority of people that are in some position of authority in the business? I mean, I'm not afraid to say how old I am. I'm a man. I'm 40. You know, I'll be 40 this year. We started Brown Golf in January of 2011. And I was 29 years old at that point. The resistance now, not so much. The resistance, you know, when I was 29, 30, in my early 30s, going into board meetings at private clubs, absolutely. There was a a difference of opinion. Now, anyone who, you know, would give me a chance and listen to some of the merit behind the arguments, I never had an issue with. It was just kind of preconceived notions about whether, you know, I had the experience to be in that room making suggestions. Uh, but I would say that's, uh, I'm over that hurdle at this point. So ever any issues when you take it, when Brown Golf Management acquires a new club, there's employees that have been there for probably decades. They're like, now nah, I got to listen to this pissant kid who's going to tell me what to do and run my course. Nothing like that. Sure. That's happened. Unfortunately, they're probably not with us too long after that. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Yeah. Uh, there's also situations where we've gone into very seasoned staffs and it's worked out tremendously and I've got some really good relationships that way. So it really depends on the person and their motivation. If their motivation is, you know, to provide expertise in their field at the site level where we value and respect the decisions they're making, but we're all working towards an end goal of making the property better and more financially secure, we tend to get along pretty well. I'm looking around the uh, Brown Golf Management office, a lot of women here, extremely qualified, all earning their keep, and I just wanted to ask you, I'm just going to ask it, is the playing field level for women, both in the industry and players? You mean professional golfers and then in in the industry? Absolutely, both. I think you have to dissect that two different ways. As far as the players, I think the the LPGA has been fighting for a long time to get up on equal footing with men's golf. They're starting to gain some grounds, but it's... It's distinctly tougher, I think, for women as it relates to just making, obviously, the same living as some of the men's golfers, even though they're equally as talented. As far as the industry as a whole, it's still a challenge, you know. Now, I know from from my standpoint that we've got one regional manager in our organization, Sarah Menes, who does a phenomenal job, and she started way down the ladder and has worked her way up and worked very hard and She's one of the best in our company, and I want to continue to promote employees, whether they're man or woman, into roles and elevate them. But is it equal playing level? It's working its way there. Probably not there yet. How about for minorities? It's been a challenge, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we've done at Brown Golf is obviously contributed to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore program with some of our just feedback and expertise and, you know, trying to help position some of their students so that they have great opportunities. And as an industry, we need to continue to reach out and really try to develop those channels. How is Brown Golf Management different than any other golf management company? We're wired as a company that needs to cash flow golf course. We started in January 2011. I think I've, I've told this story previously, but you know we had a venture capital partner, and our relationship was that we would go out and we would purchase golf courses. The venture capital partner would own the underlying land. We would have long-term leases. And under that model and concept, if you can't figure out how to cash flow a golf course and make great decisions, 
uh, you're not going to be around very long. So we've always been very protective of the golf course owner, the bottom line. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. And the decisions we're making and how that all translates. I can see a passion come out in you when we when we broach this topic. So if, if an owner-operator wants to use Golf Now or a company – of that ilk. Do you, do you take it a little bit personally? Like, do you say, do you internalize it and say, you know, there's a better option. I can provide it. And yes, financially it helps, but oh my gosh, just listen to what I have to say. Do you take it personally? Cause it seems like you do. There's definitely a little passion in there for me. It's just making sure the operator understands all the inputs of that relationship. And I see a lot of operators that are, are unwilling to really examine to the fine details of what that relationship means, what's happening with your data, what's happening with your price point, what's happening with the remarketing efforts. Are you really helping your business? Are you growing your green and car fee business? And I know without a doubt, the answer is no. So yes, I am passionate about it. Have you ever got a hard no from someone when you're doing a demo for golf back and just been like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't imagine why someone would not take this offer or capitalize on this. Not at the demo stage. I've, we've definitely get, gotten hard nos from people that are couldn't imagine leaving you know such a large network like Golf Now, and they're just afraid and and they believe that things are good. We have tailwind at our back in the industry, so they feel like you know revenue's pretty good. And I say, yeah, it's pretty good. It could be great, you know, and you could you know support your business for the long term by knowing who your customers are and building remarketing efforts. We do face friction points from time to time, without a doubt. Why do you think you care so much about that? Obviously, there's the money component. You need to stay in business and be profitable. But why do you think you personally care so much about that side? There's a little bit of personal history, a little bit of how our company was treated and the relationships with Golf Now. But mostly, it's just not the right company for the industry. And that's going to sound harsh, but I think when you look at the fundamentals of what's important at the golf course level, if you don't own your data, if you're not remarketing your customer, if you don't own your lowest price point in the marketplace, you're hurting your business and you're hurting the industry. Is there a person or group of people or a business entity in the industry that you have the utmost respect for? Metolius Golf does some great things with their data research. I think Sagacity has uh, targeted some historical data as far as helping golf courses price their golf. So that's impressive. They're more innovative companies. Golf Genius, just with 10,000 clients. And, you know, Mike Zeisman was on our podcast and really impressed with just the depth that they've penetrated the market. And frankly, their products, they're really good products. And, you know, from an acquisition standpoint, Heritage Golf has, has grown a ton the last two years, which has been very impressive with some nice facilities. Concert Golf's done some good things buying properties that are priced in the 4 to $6 million price point. So the, there are some very interesting companies out there. Is there a group of people, a person or an entity that you just cannot respect? Yes. Third-party aggregate sites are detrimental to the industry. You're probably the most humble person I've, I know, but... Bar none, I am the most humblest. Number one at the top of the humblest. Do you ever sit back and just sort of bask in what you have accomplished thus far? I know you have a long way that you want to go, and you will. Are you, are you proud of what you've done? I am enjoying the process and the path I'm on. I think maybe not bask is the word I would describe, but sometimes I'm surprised sort of where we were five years ago and where we are today and how quickly that's gone. And I would say the one thing that I would tell anyone who's starting their career, 
who feels like, man, it's such a long climb. There's always gonna be another mountain. I'm always gonna wanna make it move. To get to where I wanna be, things change very quickly. They can change in 12 months. Work hard, be dedicated, try to add more tools to your kit, and you'd be shocked at the opportunities that present themselves. And that kind of leads into where I'm gonna wrap this up with in more of a broad stroke, but a lot of the young people that I work with at my store and at my gyms, they think they should be coming out of college or not even have a college degree and be making $60,000 a year to start. And they're 19 years old, 20 years old, 21 years old. What do you think is some of the biggest misconceptions that young people have that are just starting off in business, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're working for a business owner? What are some of the misconceptions that you think that, that you've seen? Misconceptions I don't think I can really speak to that as far as how the young folks are thinking. I think what I would encourage anyone who's entering a field is don't get caught up in a salary number. Don't get caught up in what you think you should receive. Don't get caught up in that. Just work hard and be dedicated and be transparent and good things will happen. If you don't get caught up in some of those other items, which are you can get caught up into initially when you start your career, it's unbelievable the people that just put their head down, work hard, stay dedicated, they're transparent, they're honest, you will end up in a great place. And it may not be the place you thought, but it'll be a great place. Do you love getting up and doing this every day? I do. I love getting up and doing this every day. The only part of my job which bothers me from time to time is traveling and being away from my three kids. Outside of that, I love everything I do. I was going to ask you, what's it been like ever since you've made that top 25 most powerful people in golf, your Learjet flying? What's it, what's it like? How, how do you manage being such a busy person? The real question here is how do you manage a long-term relationship and running a business? Because your time is so valuable and you're wearing so many hats at so many different occasions. How are you able to make it all work? Balance is, is about examining your different inputs, work, life, family, and you have to reset every once in a while because you will skew one way or the other once in a while and a reset's needed. And that just takes open, honest communication with family and your partner as far as when it comes to life. In business too, there's so many things that you could be doing. You can get yourself caught in too many different channels and maybe getting away from the core of what you do. Focus on the core of what you do. Continue to do it well. And uh, just be careful with your time. Time management is very important. John, thank you for your candor and being so open with us. Uh, it's, an, it's an incredible thing that Brown Golf Management has going on in Golf Back, and I know it's going to continue into the future. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Jordan.